Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, along with Aaron Fitt. I'm John Manuel. This Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECSports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbin and many more on ATECSports.com. ATEC, win every practice. And Aaron, of course, will be taking questions on Twitter during the, pro- the podcast, at John Manuel BA or at Aaron Fitt. And uh, you were in uh, Texas this weekend at the Houston College Classic. I got a chance to see a couple games here this weekend, including a dazzling start by Duke's Marcus Stroman. But I think we have to start, Aaron, with the, the big news of the weekend, which was number one Florida. After a couple weeks where Stanford had really uh, made an emphatic statement about how good the Cardinal is, we had the top-ranked Gators make an emphatic statement about how good they are by going to uh, Miami, which entered the week, the week uh, ranked 13th or 12th, I should say. And the Gators swept that series, especially finishing things off with a, a stirring comeback on Sunday. And, Aaron, it seems like we saw Florida's power, Florida's depth, and especially that outstanding bullpen really on display in Coral Gables this weekend. You said it, John. I mean, you know, we've said all year long, this is an incredibly well-rounded team with no real weaknesses. And uh, uh, I think I think you're right. I think they just played pretty well in all facets this weekend. And, you know, let's let's not forget that they did this without one of their seven preseason All-Americans, Carson Whitson, who was sidelined um, with, with that tired arm. And so Jonathan Crawford stepped in and, you know, gave him four and two-thirds on Sunday. And then, uh, you know, the bullpen kind of held it in check. And, 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 you know, they came storming back in the ninth. And certainly Miami imploded in, in the ninth inning. Um, you know, it was ugly. I was watching that game on ESPN3 in, in the press box on College Station, and I just couldn't believe you know, what I was seeing, the wild pitches and walking in a run. And, you know, we're so used to Miami having a great bullpen. But you know what? Against Florida, that's the way this series has gone the last several years. Miami just does find ways to lose against Florida. And that's, you know, partially um, an, an indictment of, of Miami against Florida. But it's also a credit to Florida that they don't beat themselves uh, the way Miami has done in the series. I think that's a great point. And, uh, you know, let's talk about oh, that, that back of the bullpen you know, Miami has that historic reputation for uh, outstanding bullpens, a lot of sidearm guys that, you know, under Jim Morris in their history and before him under Ron Frazier. Uh, they've, they've usually had good setup men, uh, some lefty relievers. Uh, you know, they've, they've mixed and matched. But, boy, Florida, they can do that with their depth, but they also can extend some of their relief pitchers. And that's something that I just think gives them an extra weapon, Aaron, is that most teams, if you've used – you're a number one reliever in Austin Maddox for three and a third innings on Friday. Then you've used Greg Larson, a very effective senior low slot guy, for four and two-thirds innings on Saturday. I guess it was it was four and two-thirds perfect, or maybe he hit a batter, but no walks, no hits. He was, he was dominant. Usually, if on Sunday you don't have your starter go deep, and they didn't, Crawford didn't make out of the fifth inning, you're in trouble. Most teams are in trouble. But Florida has such depth, they were able to hold that game at five runs and give themselves, their offense, a chance to come back. And when you have an offense that's already hit 17 home runs and 11 games, clearly a powerful offense that Florida has, it just seems like that depth is such a separator between them and everybody yeah. else. Who, who were some of the guys who provided that depth this weekend against Miami? Well, certainly, you know, Steven Rodriguez is kind of the other half of the, the one-two punch w- with Maddox. And, and you know, uh, I, I was talking about this with somebody just the other day. If you look back at all the recent national champions, and I'm sure this goes back a lot, a lot farther, but, you know, it seems like they always have 
one bullpen horse that they can extend in Omaha and, and really lean on, whether it's Matt Price or Brandon Burke for Fresno or, you know, Kevin Gunderson at Oregon State or Matty Ott, you know, as, as a freshman for LSU. They have that guy that they can extend, like you said. Uh, but Florida, the reason that they're so special, one of the many reasons they're so special, is they have more than one guy that's a real stud that they can extend. As you mentioned, they did Friday with Maddox, and then you know Rodriguez, we've seen, can go deeper into an outing and relief, and um, you know, and they've got some younger guys like Johnny Magliozzi that they really love, and uh, and Bobby Pointer contributed to that thing on Sunday, and Daniel Gibson, the left-hander, got the last out. So um, you know, it's just it's just it's a really deep staff. They're just loaded. And they did it against DJ Insinosa, who was Miami's top relief pitcher, their hardest thrower, probably their best prospect as a pitcher. Yeah. So it was no, uh, it w- they weren't doing it against nobodies. They were doing it against a, a, a very good team, obviously a well-coached team. What do you think we found out about Miami this weekend, Aaron? Anything? Can you really take a, a big read on Miami, or do you think that we really won't be able to get a great read on them until guys like Steven Perez get a little healthier uh, down the stretch of the year? I think we we know you know for a certainty that they're not as good as Florida, but that's really nothing new. <laughs> that's a good way I mean, to put it. That's not you know, new. You're right. I don't think anybody's as good as Florida, but I think Miami is is clearly a, a step behind. And and you know we we kind of thought Miami was in that ten to twenty range coming into the year, and I, and I still feel like they are. I mean they're I think they're a, a very solid team. Uh, I don't think they're necessarily an elite team, and, and I think that that was what I I kind of confirmed out of this weekend. Yeah, I mean they're they're winning. 5-3 on Sunday. They're winning 5-3 on Saturday uh, after four innings. Couldn't hold that lead. Really took it to Brian Johnson. But, again, uh, Greg Larson faced 14 batters, retired them all. Um, it's pretty, that was a pretty impressive beatdown. Do you think uh, it, it almost seems like Miami or Florida State, but especially Miami of late, um, to avoid going to Gainesville for a super regional, they're going to have to have a top eight national seed I mean, is there any way they're going to avoid that? Because as you pointed out in the weekend preview, they've matched up so many times in the postseason, and we just got another demonstration of why that's a bad matchup for Miami. What else can they do to avoid Florida in a super regional matchup down the line uh, other than finishing the top eight? It's it's you know it's got to be vexing for Miami. I mean I think it's seven times in the last eleven years yeah. they've played they've played Florida in, in regionals or super regionals, and you know for comparison's sake I mean Clemson and South Carolina have never met in a regional or super regional since they went to sixty four teams. I mean why is that? You know you're talking about rivals in, in the same state, um, and one of them you know gets paired, paired together all the time, and the other one it never happens. I mean you'll see Clemson get sent to. You know, all over the place. And South Carolina is having a good year uh, to avoid having that that matchup. I mean, I don't I think, think that's necessarily right. That, Aaron, I actually think the biggest reasons for that are probably that a Miami is such a big city that they can fly anywhere. You yeah. think that they should be able to do that, but instead, they, uh, and there's so many schools around Clemson and South Carolina. There's so many schools that are within that 400 mile driving distance. Um, I, I'm just trying to think of reasons. It doesn't that that when you posited that on Friday. There's really no logical reason for that to to be the case, and I, every reason I can think of still uh, should not preclude the NCA from doing that. I hope that they take a look at that, and I also hope that the, the people who are on the committee for the Southeast, who represent the SEC and the ACC, look at that, because one of the things the NCA has talked about, and they've talked about it in past conference calls, is they, they want to look out for the experience of the student-athlete. That's their phrase. They want to give these guys a positive experience in these postseasons, and sending Miami and Florida to, to play each other every year, that's not a positive experience anymore. It's cl- clearly it's a little one-sided for Florida lately, 
But the point is, you're not, you, they don't, they're trying to avoid having these teams play each other in the postseason over and over again, and, and they've made a glaring exception in the case of Florida and Miami. Yeah. They have them playing each other constantly, and it's uh, right now it's not working out for the, for, for the, for the Hurricanes, and, uh, and the Gators are the biggest reason for that. Um, Aaron Stanford actually took a loss this weekend, and it was Mark Appel, uh, you know, matchup of six foot seven dudes, and uh, Aaron Judge won over Mark Appel. But my quick takeaway from Stanford this weekend is, looks like Brett Mooneyham isn't just back; he's back and better than ever for the Cardinal. That's a that's a great great point. You know, I mean, uh, certainly Stanford scored a ton of runs again on on Saturday and Sunday, and their offense is going to be their calling card this year. But that was so encouraging, I think, to see Mooneyham throw well for the second straight week. I mean, throw better than well, throw exceptionally. Um, and, and then, you know, for John Hochstatter, again, to, to come in on Sunday, I think he's really stabilized the rotation. Um, that Sunday spot was a little bit of a question mark. We didn't know what we were going to get from A.J. Venegas. He wasn't the answer, but, you know, they found a, you know, another guy who is. So, um, you know, an encouraging weekend for Stanford, even though they, you know, they lost their first game. Um, you have to be pleased with, uh, with what they did. I'm going to call him the major from now on. I know you are. Major so the major with another uh, fine weekend. And then uh, I'm, I'm skipped. Uh, I threw in a little Stanford there. But the other big series of the weekend, obviously, was South Carolina Clemson. Great attendance numbers in the Palmetto State. Uh, Got to give it up to the fans in that state because uh, they they turned out for that series like they turned out for Newt Gingrich in the presidential primary there last uh, yeah. back in January. Uh, it was a really uh, intense series. But again, this has gotten a little one-sided in recent years here in South Carolina. Just, I don't know if you could say they own Clemson, but they certainly have dominated the head-to-head series in recent years. Why do you think that is? Just uh, Is there a style of play, a talent level, maybe just a combination of both? You know, I don't think it's talent level as much as it is that South Carolina has done this to everybody. I mean, they did it to yeah. UCLA two years ago. They did it to Florida last year. Those were ta- teams that I think you could say had more pro talent than, than South Carolina had, even though we, we really like the talent on that South Carolina team. But um, South Carolina, you know, I mean, how, how often can we say it? They're just loaded with winning ball players, And even now, when they had a bunch of new guys to replace up the middle, they brought in more winners. You know, I mean, Grayson Griner and Joey Pancake and Taylor Eng- uh, Tanner English. I mean, these guys are, are, are good players and, and – and, uh, you know, it, it, as we all know, it starts on the mound, and South Carolina has, once again, great pitching. And, you know, even though Matt Price uh, wasn't his best this weekend, um, you know, they got another great start from, from Michael Roth, of course. And, and it's interesting, South Carolina won this series without necessarily really good starts from either Price or Colby Holmes on Sunday. But, you know, South Carolina has a good bullpen, too, now. I mean, you know, Tyler Webb's been a, a nice piece for them back there. I think he's really found a home uh, in the bullpen in the last two years, kind of quietly, a little under the radar. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, obviously uh, Price and, and John Taylor got all the attention last year, but the right. Webb gives them a, a quality left-hander back there. They really like Ethan Carter from the right side, so it's a nice little mix. Uh, Forrest Kumis, uh, you know, took the loss on Sunday. I, I haven't gotten any reports about how he looked, but, um, you know, I think in general, I think he's an, a good closer. I think he'll be fine. So, South um, has a really good bullpen, too, and, and that was certainly a factor. Yeah, so you had 5,851 fans in Charleston on uh, Friday for a neutral site game, which is tremendous. You had 82-42 at Carolina Stadium yeah. on uh, Saturday. What was the attendance at Doug Kingsmore on Sunday? I don't have that in my little uh, in my email. I'm sure it was Let me robust. See. I'm sure it was robust. But, I mean, like, to me, if the state of South Carolina 6, had – 6,000, John, 6,039. 
So if the state of South Carolina had a major league stadium anywhere nearby that wasn't, except for Atlanta, I don't know if South Carolina and Clemson fans would all drive to Atlanta, but uh, if there were like a double-A or triple-A stadium in the state that could feet, seat 10,000, they would put 10,000 in there for that for these ball games. It's, it's a credit to those two programs that they've stoked such passion and interest in college baseball that they can get that kind of attendance. I, I just love it. And I, I love also that you mentioned – um, South Carolina's uh, freshman class, but I got to give it up to Clemson that uh, they lose those first two games, but they come home and rally against a pretty good pitcher in Forrest Kumas and Phil Pohl and then Steve Wilkerson, the sophomore, with a big uh, game-winning hit. Uh, I think that says a lot about Clemson, a lot about uh, you know a, a Jack Leggett coach team. They're so hard to sweep, Aaron. They really, uh, I think it's a, yeah. they, they deserve some special kudos for not allowing that to happen. And you know, I think it was uh, it was pretty important for them that Richie Schaefer was able to battle through that groin injury that he had. They thought he was less than fifty fifty to, to play this weekend, and boy, I don't know if they they got him out all weekend. I mean, I think he was uh, he was on base constantly, he was hitting for power, and what a, what a special player he is in the middle of their order. Um, and uh, you know, I, I guess he he went two for five on Saturday, so he did get he did get retired a couple times. But uh, I mean, the, the point is he's he's really good. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. I think Clemson showed a little bit of, a little bit of fight here this weekend. They could have rolled over on Sunday, but that's not the way this rivalry goes. Even though it's been one-sided, uh, you know, it's been very competitive. I mean, a lot of these wins uh, over the last several years have been very competitive games that South Carolina just made the plays to win. I mean, like Friday in that really intense game in Charleston, you know, where, where South Carolina gets two runs in the, in the top of the, uh, was it the 11th inning, I think, and then, you know, and then, and then Clemson starts to rally in the bottom of the inning, and Evan Marzilli in center field makes this incredible, you know, sprawling catch to, to save the game and end it. Um, I mean, you know, they had Jackie Bradley there as an elite defender last couple of years. Now they've got another really good defender out there. Uh, and, 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 you know, they're not afraid to make plays. I mean, that's a, that's a credit to South Carolina's makeup. And, and also, again, Clemson, uh, you know, they, they were making that comeback on uh, on Kumas. So they kind of got to force Kumas twice this weekend, which uh, I think is uh, impressive and uh, bodes well for Clemson down the line. It's the Baseball America College Podcast with John and Aaron. Uh, let's stick in the ACC real quick, Aaron, before we get to the Houston College Classic and some of your impressions from there. Big news in the ACC this weekend is that Maryland, for the first time in the history of the Baseball America Top 25 rankings, Maryland breaks into the rankings at 25, not so much on the strength of sweeping Manhattan. Obviously, it's good to keep winning. But the teams that Maryland has beaten in its first two weekends, Aaron, keep winning. East Carolina, well, it was just Stony Brook. Stony Brook is the best team in the Northeast probably, at least a, uh, you know, from New York and up. Um, it's the best Division One team, and uh, although that's getting tested, I think, by B.C., but Stony Brook uh, gives ECU a good battle, but ECU sweeps that series. Uh, Purdue keeps winning games, uh, albeit offensively, uh, but they win at Auburn. They beat Charleston Southern. Uh, who was the other team they beat this weekend down there? Uh, it was uh, – Oh, Southern Miss. It was somebody pretty Southern good. Miss. Southern Miss, that's it. Thank, yeah. thank you. So, so these are teams that Maryland has beaten. And then, of course, the biggest one is UCLA – which lost that opening series at home to Maryland and looked bad doing it. You were there. They didn't play crisply at all. Then the next weekend, UCLA beat, wins a series against Baylor, and they keep on winning this weekend. So I think it was that cumulative body of work and the fact that the teams that Maryland has beaten all look pretty legit uh, that prompted us to rank the Terps. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's that's a great way to put it. This is a body of work ranking for Maryland, and um, you know, we since we're not we're not particularly reactionary the way we run our rankings. Um, you know, we weren't gonna we weren't gonna rank Maryland right after they beat UCLA. They had to do more. They had to sustain it, um, and they have sustained it, and they're ten and one now. Um, and I think their pitching is pretty legit. You know, I mean, it's uh, as we talked about, it's not big arms. I mean, it's not UCLA's staff last year, um, but it's guys that uh, you know throw strikes and compete. And are polished and, and experienced, and you know, and, and I think it's a, uh, you know, it's eight or nine deep. I like their bullpen. I love Jimmy Reed back there, the left-hander. Um, you know, it's it's uh, the pitching has, has been their, their forte, but I do think they're well balanced. I like the physicality in the middle of the lineup with Tim Keeney and Mike Montville and you know KJ Hockaday and you know, Jordan Hagel had a nice weekend for them. They got some you know table setter type spark plug, plug guys. Uh, Alfredo Rodriguez had a couple of hits I think on Sunday. Uh, he's a good player at shortstop. I mean, I just think it's a, I think it's a really solid team, and uh, you know, it, it looks weird to have Maryland in our rankings. It's never happened before, like you said, but uh, they deserve it. How deep is the ACC then this year? I mean, Boston College is off to a good start. Virginia Tech is off to a good start. You've talked about all these things in our top 25, uh, non-top 25 kind of tracker uh, blog post that you did Sunday night. How many teams are? Is it realistic? I mean, like NC State. NC State's uh, already had a main cog and the other leading base dealer and home run hitter from last year, Brett Williams, out with a knee injury, and yet their freshman class so far, as advertised, with Carlos Rodon and Trey Thomas and uh, Brett Austin. Um, Trey Turner, you, rather. Trey Turner, thank you for correcting me. I knew that was wrong. Uh, how, how realistic is nine bids for the ACC realistic? Eight bids? I mean, uh, here, Duke is... Uh, you know, Wake Forest is off to a good, better start. Duke isn't great, but Mark, Marcus Stroman struck out 17 against George Washington in just seven innings this weekend. So they've got a guy who can go out and beat anybody. You have Wake Forest with a no-hitter this weekend. How 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 good can the ACC be as a league? Yeah, it's it's much deeper than I think it, it ever has been. I mean, um, this is the first time, I think, where you look at the, the ACC and that bottom third, really the last four teams uh, are all – think really competitive i mean uh um you know boston college has been a, a great surprise so far they had another nice weekend uh, winning a series down at florida gulf coast uh and they're they're six and three you know they had that great opening weekend where they uh they beat virginia and uh um and then they, they went down to central florida um and won uh um you know and, and won well they won one game and then played all three of them really tough so i mean i think bc is is you know, is a really uh, um, hard-nosed northern team, and, and they're, they're, they're not bad. Um, Wake Forest has really good pitching, and Virginia Tech has a really good offense. So, I mean, kind of contrast and styles. But um, all those teams, in addition to Maryland and, of course, NC State, I kind of regard NC State as, as a pretty safe regional bet. I, I like their chances. But, you know, the fact that all these other teams behind them are, are improved um, might make that a little less of a slam dunk. Yeah, I think, that, I think the league is uh... – you, know, you see it in college basketball this time of year. Everybody's doing their bracketology, and they talk about league RPIs and that kind of stuff. And uh, We've talked about it in baseball over and over again as well. Um, having horrible teams at the bottom of your top 25, at the bottom of your conference standings, hurts the RPIs of the teams in your league. When you have one really bad team that contributes to everyone else's uh, win-loss record looking a little less impressive, it drags down everyone in the league's RPI. Doesn't look like the ACC has a really, really bad team this year. All those teams at the bottom uh, from recent seasons seem competitive. I think that's really going to help the league. Um, the Southeastern Conference—that's usually the case in the SEC, Aaron. 
there's usually not a really bad team at the bottom of that league. That seems like maybe that's a little bit less the case this year. Um, how about in the Big 12? You got to see some Big 12 teams this weekend in Texas, uh, down at the Houston uh, Astros College Classic. And then you also are in College Station right now. You got a chance to see Texas A&M, which has won six straight. Um, you got to see Texas Tech, though. You got to see Texas. Um, right now, Texas has the worst record in the Big 12 Conference. And we dropped the Longhorns out of our top 25 rankings. Um, what's the real issue you think for Texas? Is it, you know they scored 11 runs against against Rice, so clearly there is some offensive capability there. What, what's standing between Texas and consistent winning right now? Well, I mean, it's kind of like we talked about last week. First of all, I just think that they're pitching. You know, we always think of Texas as a, as a pitching first team, and the pitching staff is supposed to carry them. Um, I'm sure Augie would, would would say, you know, it's it's a whole team effort, and you got to be in tune with nature and all that stuff. But, I mean, uh, you know, it, it, this is about pitching. And, and last year's pitching was good enough that it could carry kind of an, an average offense. And this year's pitching, I don't think, is, is, is exceptional. I mean, I was uh, kind of disappointed in Hobie Milner. I mean, we saw a bunch of left-handers out there this weekend. You know, Jordan Lewis, uh, uh, Taylor, uh, I think Jordan Lewis, yeah, from for Houston. I was thinking of Miss Taylor Lewis for some reason. Uh, you know, he, he, uh, he, that guy's pretty good. I think he's just as good as Hobie Milner. The stuff was comparable. I mean, Hobie Milner's got a big name, uh, but, you know, he was 86, 88, and, you know, the secondary stuff wasn't great command was just okay um you know i mean uh, they got a bunch of freshmen in the bullpen and and they're they're talented freshmen but you know they're they're guys that are still kind of learning their way um you know i mean nathan thornhill is is an okay friday guy he's got a really good change up but not he's not taylor youngman or, or even close to it he's not cole green i mean he's far from dominant he's you know and he's a stock college right-hander with a, with a good change up um so you know it's i just think the pitching isn't good enough to carry an offense that is still is not going to be a great offense. Let's put it that way. They're, I think they could be a competent offense. I think they can execute. I think they can, you know, sacrifice guys over. But um, it's not going to be a, a great offense by any means. It's just not going to happen. Um, so, you know, I think Texas will be fine. They're going to win a lot of games because they're Texas, and that's what they do, and they'll get it sorted out. And, you know, Augie will get all those guys to buy into his message and, you know, grind out at bats and all that stuff. But um doesn't – strike me this year, John, as, as, as an Omaha caliber team. That's a, that's a great way to sum, summarize that. Uh, let's stick in the Big 12. How about Texas Tech? They had a rough weekend a little bit. Uh, this is a team I think we thought would be pretty offensive ball club, obviously a little bit of an offensive home park. They had two wins over a, a, what we think is a pretty talented St. John's club earlier this year. But other than St. John's and a, a game against Missouri State that they lost, their opponents have been Tennessee Tech and Northern Illinois, not exactly great measuring sticks. Um, they go in here and, and lose a couple games. What were your impressions of the Red Raiders? And is that a regional? Is that a regional team down in uh, down in Lubbock? I think it very well might be. I mean, I, I really like, um, of course, the the top two guys in the batting order, Jer- Jamadric Magruder and, and Barrett Barnes. I mean, really exciting, dynamic players. Uh, Magruder's got a lot of speed. He gets on base and, and he's going to run. You know, that's what he does. He's going to run when he gets on base. Uh, and Barrett Barnes, I think, is one of the more exciting players in college baseball. Um, he's He's got a tantalizing speed power mix and he's putting it together. You know, I mean, he's had a good career there. He's hit for three years, um, but I think he's made, he's matured as a hitter. Um, and, uh, you know, boy, he's got real, real thunder in that bat. Um, you know, he hit a ball, a, a single in the, in the first game Friday, uh, was only hit, but he turned around 95 or 96 from Ryan Stanek, and I think he left a dent in the, in the scoreboard out there in left field. I mean, it was a missile. 
Um, so, you know, they've got those guys. I think Reed Redmond's a nice, and Scott Lejeune are some, you know, some nice uh, pieces behind those guys in the lineup in the 3-4 spots. Uh, I think Tim Proudfoot at shortstop is really slick uh, and, 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 and uh, sure-handed, makes a lot of, a lot of nice plays. Uh, and then, you know, on the mound, it's, it's not special, but, you know, you've got a couple of guys, uh, Duke Von Shaman, uh, you know, who's, who's kind of like uh, your Nathan Thornhill type. He's, you know, 88, 90 with a he'll mix, you know, three or four different pitches and uh, keep you off balance and compete. And then you got and Rusty Shellhorn. If, if people are wondering, Duke Von Shaman is the son of former big, uh, NFL kicker and former Wheel of Fortune host, Uwe Von Shaman. Uh, he was, who, he uh, hosted Wheel of Fortune. I did not know that. Yeah, he did. Uh, there was a little spurt there. I have a little secret uh, secret uh, Wheel of Fortune knowledge that uh, there was a little spurt there where when it, when, uh, when it was taking off in the 80s and went to the nighttime show, that they used to also have a morning show. And so for a while, Pat Sajak, and, uh, who's uh, become a, a right-wing commentator, which is shocking, and Vanna White, who's preserved in ether apparently these days, hmm. um, when they just did the nighttime show, Uwe Von Shaman took over the daytime show. So you had uh, so, so Uwe von Schaumann also was the kicker, of course, in that epic Chargers uh, Dolphins playoff game, the uh, the Kellen Winslow game, where he blocked all the kicks. So he was about uh, a soldier. You know, you're talking about the original soldier, uh, which was uh, Kellen Winslow. So so that so Uwe von Schaumann, he was a, he was an observer to history in the NFL and in daytime game show TV. So uh, it's a pretty recognizable name, at least for me. This has been John's history lesson, week week that's three, right? right. <laughs> that's right. Um, but so Texas, so we've gone over a little bit. Into Rusty Shellhorn transferred from Washington State. Was a big strikeout pitcher in, in high school in the state of Washington. Uh, looks like he threw pretty well this weekend. But just like Texas Tech, to me, my shorthand for the Red Raiders for the last few years, Aaron, has been good enough to beat the second division teams in the Big Twelve, but needs to make a little bit more noise against the first division teams. Are you, are you confident they can do that this year? Has Coach Spencer got a little bit ways to go yet still to, to kind of turn things around there? I don't think they're going to be in the, at the top of the Big 12, uh, but, uh, you know, I think they can be in the middle of the Big 12, the top, you know, four or five teams and, and be in a regional. Um, I think Texas A&M is by far the best team in the Big 12. Um, you know, I think Baylor Texas is solid. I saw, I saw them a couple times last weekend. I think they're a nice, solid, well-rounded team. Um, and, and Oklahoma, I, I've, well, I've seen a lot of the Big 12. I've seen, I saw Oklahoma, too, and, uh, you know, they're starting to, it looks like they're starting to figure out on the mound. They need to get Damian Magnifico going uh, at the back of the bullpen, but I thought it was very encouraging to see Jonathan Gray pitch well and Stephen Okert this weekend. Those two junior college transfers that they're really relying upon. Um, so, you know, I think all those teams are, are regional clubs. Um, you know, Oklahoma State's been a little bit up and down, not sold on them yet. Uh, Missouri, you know, kind of like them. I think we had them as a regional team heading into the year. They haven't really hit. You know, that's been a major issue for them is offense. Um, so I think that the, the jury is still out on those guys. Although they did, they did score some runs this weekend. I should correct myself. They scored 15 runs Saturday and then nine Sunday against Ball State. But before that, the, the bats have been very quiet. Yeah, I believe it was uh, BA ex-intern uh, Teddy Cahill who researched that they, they and Ball State were two of the least offensive teams in the country coming in to that weekend series. We're, it's the Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. Aaron is just uh, dealing out tons of knowledge. He's already seen half the Big 12, basically, uh, and we're three weeks into the season, and he's located in California. So I think that just tells you how hard he's getting after it. And uh, this Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. I want to remind you that ATEC is committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. 
Visit ATechSports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbin and more on ATechSports.com. ATech win every practice. Aaron, another team I want to touch on there in the Texas, uh, the Astros College Classic, the two SEC teams, Arkansas and Tennessee. Obviously an impressive weekend for the Razorbacks. Uh, knew their pitching was going to be good. They had a five-game week and uh, you know, had the one loss, but they, also they lost 4-1 to one to Houston. But pitching-wise, the Razorbacks kept other teams down. And uh, very impressed. Uh, very impressed with them. Tennessee, Tennessee wants to use some quick observations on those two clubs, especially the, the, the Dave, Dave Serrano's new look uh, volunteers. Yeah, Tennessee is is scrappy and they're not overly talented, um, you know. But they uh, they play hard and and uh, you know it, it's I, I don't think that Dave Serrano is under any delusions that he's got a great team on his hands. Um, but you know I was impressed with the, the the win that they had on Saturday against Texas and you know I I liked how Dave Serrano put it. You know I'm not going to downplay this. We just beat the University of Texas. You know it's a big deal. Um, and it is a big deal for that program. They've had a rough go of it the last couple of years. But, uh, you know, they've got some struggles still ahead of them. I mean, it's, um, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's encouraging that they, they generally pitch pretty well the first two days. Um, you know, they lost that game on Friday um, against Houston. But, uh, um, you know, I think Drew Steckenrider will be better than, than he was this weekend. I mean, he, he looked just okay. His stuff wasn't that electric. Uh, he, he does have better stuff than that, I mean, especially in relief. Uh, he was sitting kind of 88 to 92 as a starter, but you know he's he's progressed nicely as a player. I mean he's certainly much more polished. Did, did generally an okay job throwing strikes, um, but uh, you know they they've got some. You know Zach Godley pitched very well on Saturday against Texas. He's got a good arm. They've got several guys in the bullpen that you know kind of like. Uh, you know and and Zach Osborne, the shortstop, I think is is their best player. You know he's just a little guy, but you know makes a lot of things happen and uh, is a spark plug for them uh, you know, on both sides. Uh, and then Arkansas is loaded. I mean I think Arkansas is a legit top five team. I'm glad we've got them in the top five because they're, you know, they're really good. They just, uh, um, you know, tons of pitching, obviously, like you mentioned. It's a really deep staff. It's nice to have a couple of guys in the bullpen, a bunch of guys, really, but two guys that uh, um, are headliners back there with Barrett Austin, who's, who's actually supplanted or beat out Nolan Sandburn for the closer job. And uh, it's nice to have, a, yeah, it's nice to have Sandburn as, as a set that up guy, but I mean, that's a great one-two punch. Um, you know, they've got some lefties back there. They've got some righties. They've got some funky low-slot guys. They've got some guys that throw from over the top. Um, I love their lineup. You know, I mean, I know it's it's not maybe a, there's not maybe, well, it's not fair to say that there's not one guy that scares you because I think Ficcicello is pretty scary. And I, I think agree. Matt Reynolds, Matt Reynolds has turned the corner like we thought he would after the last summer. Um, you know, I, those two guys in the middle of the lineup, I think are, uh, are nice. I mean, they're, 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 they're good players. Um, and, uh, you know, they're just, uh, I think they're, they're, pretty complete team i don't think there's a great i think they play really good defense i think tim carver shortstop is fantastic um and he's become a guy that can get on base and, and you know be a catalyst in the leadoff spot i mean he hadn't hit really the first three years of his career uh but uh, he's hitting now and 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 giving them a big boost we're gonna stick in the sec here for a minute eric because one of our other uh, our new teams in the back of the top 25 uh we brought in texas state at number 21 uh, we already mentioned Maryland. We brought in at number 25. At number 23, we brought in Mississippi State, which I feel like we've we've talked about a couple times on the podcast. Um, but this is a pretty impressive start here by uh, the Bulldogs. That gets them into the top 25. Again, more of a cumulative uh, body of work, and we like their talent ranking as opposed to what they just did this weekend, although they, they keep winning, going 4-0 is good. 
Um, where do you think Mississippi State stands with regard to the rest of the SEC? I think they're right in the mix with the SEC West behind Arkansas. You know, I think uh, LSU, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State are probably, you know, fairly comparable teams. I mean, I I, uh, I spoke with a scout this weekend who's seen some of the Bulldogs and really likes uh, what he's seen. I mean, from them in the infield, which is, you know, he admitted coming into the season that was the question about Mississippi State, and um, that's why we didn't rank them in the preseason. But you know, those guys have done pretty pretty well, and, and the 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 pitching staff is just really deep. You know, that's the thing that, that sets Mississippi State apart. Um, you know, they've got a lot of arms. You know, they lost Ben Bracewell on Friday to elbow soreness. I'm not sure how serious it is, but it sounds like it might be a cause for concern. Um, yeah, he hasn't. He hasn't. I'm just reading an article about him uh, while I asked you about them, and it sounds like he's. You know, he's had surgery in the past. Uh, it's a labrum, and they're just. They're kind of building him back up slowly, but he's been more sore than they hoped he would be. So he yeah. hasn't given up a run yet. Getting that guy healthy would certainly, you know, make a big difference. Just having him at full strength because he hasn't given up a run yet, uh, yeah. earned run in ten and a third inning. So and, and the thing is, day starter and your Friday guy, you kind of would like to do that. And if and you know they've got an insurance policy with Chris Stratton who can clearly start. I mean, he went six innings on Friday out of, out of the re- out of relief, and he can do that any time. Uh, he can clearly start for them. But uh, I think having Bracewell healthy gives you the luxury of using Stratton as your your bullpen stopper, your long relief guy, where he's really valuable. So um, certainly, I think Bracewell is. You know, it would be nice um, if he could if he could get back healthy uh, and they could leave Stratton there, but. If not, I don't think it sinks them because but they do have Stratton as kind of an insurance policy. And like that infield, that uh, youthful infield is starting to come around, and, they, and they're hitting for some power, uh, this team as well. So they've, they've driven the ball. It's a pretty impressive start for uh, for Mississippi State. Uh, I'm on the bandwagon, so uh, we'll see how that works out. But I'm out there on the, on the Bulldogs. I, I, tell you, I don't think I've ever been on the Bulldogs bandwagon in hmm. previous years. I can't remember a year where I was bullish on them. Um, more than maybe their fans were, you know, so right. uh, that's new for me. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. Uh, Aaron, elsewhere in the top 25, I, I guess we, we brought in Texas State. Kind of hard not to mention how amazing the uh, uh, the, the Bearcats are. They, are, they, are they the Bobcats? Bobcats. The Bobcats, I guess the Bearcats of Sam Houston State. Sorry right. to get those mixed up. But a uh, pretty impressive start for Texas State, which has been a very consistent program. It's the best program in the Southland. This is their last year in the Southland Conference before they go to the reconfigurated WAC. But I don't remember a team doing five shoutouts in a row like Texas State did. Did this come out of nowhere, or do we expect that Texas State's pitching would be its strength? It was supposed to be a strength. I mean, they've got some veteran guys, uh, you know, that they, they like. And, and, and we had a great report. Uh, uh, we'll have to confirm that Kyle Finnegan, their, their Saturday guy, who uh, or Sunday guy, I suppose, was 93-95, uh, touching 96. Um, that was from a, one of the press releases this weekend. So I have to see if that's if, if Scout's got the same thing. But, you know, he's been fantastic. 12 strikeouts over seven scoreless innings. Um, you know, Colton Turner has been really good. All year, he was really dominant uh, uh, against Houston, and, and uh, you know came, comes back and and you know works six and two thirds scoreless against Notre Dame, uh, and then Travis Ballou, uh with the complete game shutout on Saturday. I mean, all those guys are guys they expected would be good, uh, and then they have Mitchell Pitts too, who's uh, who beat TCU on on uh, uh, in midweek. So I mean, he's he's another guy. I mean, those are all legit guys, John, and and you know they've got a, I think a nice lineup with a, a great catalyst at the top and Tyler Sibley and a great 
you know, kind of anchor in the middle with uh, with Jeff McVaney and Cal- Casey Kalinkowski, two guys that I, I think are, are good players. McVaney also kind of doubles as their 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 closer. So um, he had a great summer in the in Texas Collegiate League last year, and has kind of carried it over. Um, it's it's a it's a good team. I think you know we ranked Texas State last year for I believe the first time ever, and uh, and you know they they followed it up. I mean they're they're a good team. I think they might even be better than they were last year. The great thing about that team is that you have some veterans. You know, Sibley's a senior, was drafted last year by the Cardinals. Uh, McVaney's a guy who hit a lot of home runs with the old bats. Still hit double-digit home runs last year with the new bats. It's legit power. It's not a fluke. Um, I like teams like that. They're from. If you're looking for a mid-major team that's going to make noise in college baseball, for me, they've got to have. Uh, it helps to have a power arm. Helps for them to be older, veteran. And these are true in all sports, but. Um, I, I like having a guy who, and just to me, just getting dudes back that you that got drafted. That's just a separator for teams like that. You think back to the Southern Misses team in, in 2009. That was an older club, a lot of seniors, some fifth-year seniors. Yeah. It helps, and uh, especially in this era with the bats, where you need a little bit more strength to generate that power. It really helps when you get your man strength for some of these college players when the bat doesn't do all the work for you like it used to. So, to me, Texas State is eminently – it's a team you can believe in. That would be their campaign slogan uh, in this election year. Uh, I'm I'm excited that we ranked that team, and I'm excited that they uh, – uh, I'm just excited that the team is doing something extraordinary like that. look forward to seeing Texas State continue. Uh, a couple other things I wanted to hit on with you, Aaron. We haven't talked about the Pac-10 at all yet, um, except we, we touched on Stanford. Um, I, I guess you know UCLA, Oregon, kind of holding serve. Uh, anything from the from the Pac-12? I keep saying Pac-10. Anything from the Pac-12 jump out to? I got a chance to see Southern Cal this weekend uh, on Sunday, the game they won against North Carolina. You've seen uh, Stephen Tarpley, and I got a chance to see him. Just a freshman, but uh, uh, kind of an electric left-hander with solid average velocity. I guess he touched 93 against Jacksonville, and real feel for spinning a breaking ball. He looks like a guy who could be. Competitive, and, and that was the theme that Frank Cruz used on Sunday was that he thought USC had a chance to really be competitive and to compete well in the Pac-12. I don't think they're a front half, top half of the Pac-12 team yet. Uh, anyone that you're seeing that could emerge in that league and challenge Stanford, or, or is it Stanford and then kind of a jumble of teams after them? Oh, I think that's definitely the case. I mean, I think Stanford is clearly a cut above everybody. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's it's good to see UCLA um, put together a six-game winning streak now. You know, they they built some confidence. They got their bats going. They got their arms going. Um, you know, it was only Sacramento State this weekend. But, you know, it's uh, it, it's consistency. Um, and, and they beat... Uh, um, they beat uh, Long Beach midweek, and, and you know they, they won that series against Baylor last weekend. I mean UCLA, um, I think is a good club. I think Arizona State's a very good club. You know, not 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 a regional club because they can't be, but uh, um, you know, but Arizona State, uh, you know, they're, they're they pitched really well this weekend. They have good arms, um, you know, and they've hit. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's kind of. What they do, I mean, even when they they got these new faces in there, you get Mike Benjamin giving you five uh, nine, five hits out of the nine hole or whatever, and you know Julian DeMichael just was a force this weekend. Um, you know he's a, he's he's done a good job. It sounds like at second base, um, and and uh, it, it's a very good development for them. It gives them more flexibility, allows them to get more guys in the lineup. DH, um, they're legit, and Arizona's legit. You know Arizona's. Uh, 
um, kind of quietly um, gotten off to an eight and two start. They haven't played the strongest schedule. Uh, North Dakota State and Harvard two of their weekends, but they did take two out of three from Auburn, which is kind of in rebuilding mode this year. But um, you know, we we ranked Arizona high in the preseason because we we like their talent and their experience, and uh, um, you know they they pitched very well this weekend, and I thought it was uh, it was important for them to get a strong start Sunday from uh, from uh, James Ferris, you know, who's uh, I think going to be a key guy for them. Uh, allows them to keep Matt, Matthew Troop in the back of the bullpen, a talented freshman that I really like, um, you know, rather than have to move Troop into a starting role. Um, so, you know, I think Arizona's a complete team. And for me, I think Arizona's the second-best team in the Pac-10. And then staying out west, Aaron, one of the teams we thought about ranking this week, haven't done it yet, haven't quite pulled that trigger, but Gonzaga, we've talked in previous podcasts already this year about the strength of the West Coast Conference. And we'll wrap up here with, with talking a little bit about the WBCC and the Zags. 10-0 for Gonzaga. They've got some solid wins in there against teams like Kansas. Obviously, they swept the three games against Riverside, uh, Nebraska, I should say, earlier this year. I don't know why I said Riverside, but they swept Nebraska. They beat Illinois, which was a regional finalist last year. They've got games against Lamar and Lafayette, UT San Antonio. So they go undefeated down in San Antonio this weekend. They've really cleaned up in the state of Texas. Um, talk a little bit about the, about the Zags and, and what's making this team tick and uh, – and they go uh, to Arkansas for a couple of midweek games in about a week and a half. It's going to be a pretty good test for the Zags. You know, that, those two wins against Lamar look even better now after Lamar just beat Baylor twice this weekend. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, Gonzaga is, um, you know, I think, I think Marco Gonzalez obviously makes them tick, and that's no surprise. He's one of the best players in college baseball, uh, you know, which I, I think he's just one of the most versatile guys out there as far as giving you um, a great Friday starter who, uh, you know, really competes and, and gives them an advantage most weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, he also can contribute with the bat. I mean, he's, he's a really good player. He makes them tick. But, I mean, Royce Bollinger out in center field is a darn good player. Uh, you know, Stephen Halcom had a good weekend. He's a nice shortstop for them, a, a you know, reliable guy who can hit. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think they're I think they're pretty well balanced. I mean, this is a team that has had some success the last few years. I mean, another team that we ranked for the first time uh, ever, maybe two years ago, I think, when they went to a regional. Um, you know, we had them in the top 25 heading into a regional, and they got a three seed because of the RPI, but uh, they were better than the three seed. You know, and, and Tyler Olson's another guy I should mention who threw a complete game against UTSA on, on Saturday. Um, you know, he's a, he's a solid, another solid pitcher for them. I mean, they're just, uh, you know, I think they've done a great job with that program. I mean, they've recruited it well. Like, it feels like here in the West Coast Conference, like we talked about earlier, there's not necessarily a really bad team at the bottom of that league that's going to drag that RPI down. Feels like that league's got a shot to get an at-large bid, in addition to its conference champion, if things work out. I mean, it feels like there are two or three teams yeah. in that league that uh, are really regional-worthy clubs at, the, at least this early in the season. John, I, I seem to remember they've had three teams in regionals within the last five or six years, haven't they? Am I, am I wrong about that? I think I, just I think that's I just the case. I just but, don't remember. I'm sorry I did, uh, to the listeners. I didn't do my research on that before asking the question. It feels like they've gotten two. They've definitely gotten two. Three. You know, they've had several years where they had both Pepperdine and San Diego in. Um, but uh, you know, I think they can get two again. I really do. We, we predict. We projected that in the preseason. We went on a little bit of a limb by projecting uh, this to be a two-bid league. I think that's probably where it ends up because I think that. Uh, 
you know, one thing that's going to hurt some of these teams is that everybody is so competitive that I don't know that, you know, anyone's going to have a real gaudy conference record, um, which, you know, if you're looking for an at-large bid, it helps have a, a really nice conference record um, and then lose in the finals or something like that of your conference tournament. I don't know that that's going to be the case for the West Coast Conference because I think all these teams are, are pretty solid. But, um, you know, when you look at, at – Portland and you know Portland I think lost their weekend to Cal State Bakersfield perhaps uh, but uh, yeah they did but you know they beat Creighton last weekend two games I mean I, I like Portland's team I like uh, you know I like uh, Pepperdine quite a bit I think San Francisco is is good I think St Mary's is good they have a lot of talent there this year um, you know BYU's gotten off to a, a good start I mean this yeah, the BYU whole league won that series won its first league series against St Mary's uh, they did and they, and they and won series at UC Riverside too and. You know, I mean, you know, they lost two midweek games to Arkansas this week, but you know, there's no shame in that. I mean, it's it's a it's a good league. I think it's a, uh, I think it's you know comparable to the Big West, or maybe even better than the Big West this year. Uh, I think you. I, I want to keep on <laughs> as long as the league is playing well. I want to keep making that point because I, I hope that committee members are listening. That this is a. I know they say they don't look at conferences, but they have conference RPIs. They rate the conferences by RPI, so they do look at the conferences. And what conference you're in does matter, whether they say it or not. Otherwise, they wouldn't even tell you what the conference ranking is, you know, when they're right. RPI. So the West Coast Conference, I think, is a little bit stronger maybe than it's than it's been in past years. Uh, anything else? Uh, what do we have to, to look forward to this week, Aaron, uh, uh, on, in college baseball uh, before we wrap up the podcast? Uh, conference play starts in the ACC. I think the marquee series really is uh, North Carolina and Clemson. Uh, see if the Tigers can get back on track. You've got a couple of good, um, you know, intra interconference, excuse me, matchups. Uh, Stanford Rice, you know, top five showdown. Hard to beat that. Uh, Texas A&M, Cal State Fullerton, another yet another Texas um, California challenge here. There's been a I lot like of those. That. Those Lone Star State, uh, uh, Golden State Challenge games already this year. It's been a, it's been a, a fun year for that stuff. Has it not been a little advantage California in that? Not just Stanford, but then uh, Fullerton no. winning the series against TCU. Uh, That's right, and and, and UCLA, UCLA winning the series against Baylor. Right. So so far California's had the upper hand there, um, which is interesting. But all those games have been in California too. So um, you know, this weekend I believe um, the uh, the Titans. That's Stanford, aren't they? Right, but the Titans are going to A&M at least, so there's there's one here on the the home turf in Texas. Um, and uh, just for you know, that North Carolina Clemson series, I, I think the uh, one takeaway I, I don't know if we've talked about North Carolina on the podcast yet, but one real takeaway I was talking to some scouts at the game uh, Sunday, and the, the the difference maker for North Carolina for you and I, Aaron, I remember we talked about it in the uh, we were ranking the top twenty-five in the preseason podcast. The addition of Cody Stubbs to North Carolina's lineup is kind of a separator for them from the rest of the ACC in terms of just that 3-4-5 of Colin Moran, Jacob Stallings, Cody Stubbs projected to really give them a loaded middle of the lineup. That makes it really difficult to pitch to. You can go left, right, left, good power, uh, and some depth there. And just talking to those scouts, uh, the biggest reason they were there on Sunday, uh, they were timing Cody Stubbs going to first. Uh, They were watching everything he did. Uh, he's off to a tremendous start for North Carolina's baseball team, and uh, we did our first uh, you know, in the dugout video with him, and so far he's living up to that. He's hitting 472. He's already got 10 doubles. Uh, he really does uh, kind of give them some some balance to their lineup. I think one of the key guys to watch for them going forward is Michael Russell. Uh, he's a right-handed bat. Uh, you know, they really need to. It's really just it's, it's amazing. He's a freshman outfielder. He's a right-handed hitter. It's been amazing over the years, as good as North Carolina's program has been, Aaron, that 
it's been so left-leaning. Their best hitters are almost always left-handed hitters, whether it's Russ Adams or uh, Levi Michael or right. Uh, or well, he used, Moran. Michael was a switch hitter, but but you're right. I mean, right. It, Josh uh, Horton. I mean, but that's uh, why that's why Chad Flack was such a key part of their Omaha teams. You know, was, given that course, right-handed exactly. thumper. Yeah. Their, their best right-handed hitter over those years, Chad Flack, who was never drafted, you know, had many opportunities to get drafted, was never drafted, so was a very good college player. If you're talking about talent, he was never drafted. I think that just tells you a little bit about how limited some of their right-handed hitters have been. Their best talent right-handed hitter has been Tim Fedorovich, who's gotten to the big leagues. But, I mean, you think of the Carolina big leaguers, they're guys like uh, Dustin Ackley, Kyle Seeger, mm-hmm. left-handed hitters. And uh, you know Josh Ward's got a triple A, like I said. The right-handed hitters, it's, it's always that's, that's been the formula to beat North Carolina. Throw a good lefty at them. That usually happens with all teams. It wor- and teams- it worked Sunday, too. I mean, look at Stephen Tarpley, a lefty who can spin a breaking ball really well. And Stephen Tarpley's got a great, great feel for his breaking ball, John. I don't know if you noticed that. I'm sure you did. But, I mean, he, he to me, in addition to being loose and athletic, he can really manipulate the, where he wants to put that breaking ball. You have to have feel for breaking ball to throw to separate and to keep your curveball and your slider separate. That's what we got a chance to see with Stroman on Friday. He doesn't throw two a, a curveball and a slider, but he throws a, tr- a slider with true depth, and then he adds a cutter, which is distinct and separate from a slider. And if he has that cutter going forward, he's going to have 17 strikeouts against good teams, not just GW, because he was 87 to 88 with that cutter. We had a cross-checker look at us during the game and say, was that a cutter? And Connor Glass was like, yeah, that was a cutter, and it's nasty. I mean, he was, the cross-checker was not expecting that cutter. Uh, 87 to 88 miles an hour, and it just had late, horizontal, just filthy life. Um, I'm telling you, that, uh, that's going to be nasty. But uh, you know, I think last year in Omaha, Corey Williams came out of that bullpen for Vanderbilt and really shut North Carolina down. Again, you know, lefty yeah. stuff. Those yeah. those are few and far between. It's hard. Not every team has a lefty with feel for breaking ball and and, and power like that. But um, I really think Michael Russell uh, North Carolina needs another right-handed bat besides Jacob Stallings to come forward and to be a consistent contributor in the offense. But I'll tell you, Cody Stubbs, he's been as advertised. So um, uh, impressive, uh, impressive player. To, and Colin Moran is. Uh, hitting 450 in case there are any doubters. 450 with two home runs so far and uh, uh, special hands and made a couple of nice defensive plays yesterday as well. So, um, so far, uh, I, I do think that North Carolina Clemson series next weekend is really a, a one to look forward to. Uh, great stuff as usual, Aaron, on the podcast. And uh, I want to remind people that if you're not already doing it, follow Aaron on Twitter if you want to follow college baseball in an informed way. He's at Aaron Fit. I tweet a lot less about most of my college tweets, Aaron, are, are retweeting things that you tweeted or or that you wrote. Uh, so I'm at John Manuel BA. And, of course, the at Baseball America Twitter feed is going strong at 51,000 plus. So we encourage people to follow us there. We remind you that this Baseball America College podcast has been sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECSports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt coach Tim Corbin and more on ATECSports.com. ATEC, win every practice. For Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next week on the next Baseball America College podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.